Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Joining me on this episode of the podcast is Renee Rouleau, celebrity esthetician and skincare expert, joins me to talk about her incredible career in the beauty industry. I feel so very, very lucky that for my job, I get to speak to wonderful people like Renee and hear about how they started and came to be household names. These stories always start small, and although no two stories are the same, what is consistent are the themes of hard work, trusting your gut, and being true to yourself. Renee's story is wonderful, starting in her grandmother's salon where love and being of service struck her as values to aspire to, to where we are today when Renee is one of the most trusted names in beauty, one of the biggest names in beauty, also with a product line of 50 SKUs that cater to every skin type and every skin need. Yes, undoubtedly Renee is a skincare expert with a huge amount of know-how and expertise. But what also fascinates me about these stories is how, alongside a career in beauty, a knowledge and understanding of how a passion can parlay into a successful and profitable business. Always really fascinates me. How do you have those two things run side by side? You can be really passionate about something, but you have to, along the way, quickly learn how to turn that passion into a business. And that's not necessarily the easiest path. Over 30 years, Renee has expanded and developed her knowledge and has always been keen to share that with as many people as possible. As well as clients in salon, Renee's blog became a destination for reliable expert advice on how to handle everything from understanding when and how to pop a spot, if that's really what you needed to do, how to make acne scarring fade and how to make it fade fast, and the tips you need to know to avoid breakouts on the jawline. There are so many wonderful blog posts up on ReneeRouleau.com. It's so worth a, a visit. In this conversation, Renee shares her story of where Renee Rouleau, the brand, started, her entrepreneurial spirit and why moving and making changes, and I mean big changes, never scared her. She also shares how she came to her nine skin types. You can find yours by doing the skin quiz at ReneeRouleau.com. I did mine, found it very interesting, and why writing her blog was such a game changer. 
I loved this conversation because it's so clear how passionate Renee is about what she does, how generous she is with her knowledge, and how open she is about sharing her expertise and welcoming in anyone who is curious about getting to know their skin better, but also understanding products, not just hair products, but all products, understanding them a little bit better too. I'm so excited to bring you the brilliant, wonderful Renee Rouleau on The Emma Gunn Show. Renee Rouleau, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very, very well, and I'm very pleased to be speaking to you. You are a celebrity esthetician and skincare expert, and you hold a very very special place in my heart because you got Lisa Rinna to do a shout out video for me on social media. <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Lisa is so, so awesome. And yeah, Caroline had kind of mentioned it and I was like, well, I was like, well, let me just, I mean, she didn't, Caroline didn't ask me to do anything. It was my idea. And I said, well, I saw Lisa today or I'm going to see Lisa today and let me just ask her. Well, so thank fun. you for making that dream come true. But you're not on the show to talk about Lisa Rinna or um, doing <laughs> special messages. You're on the podcast because you are genuinely somebody, you're the kind of person, I, if I met you at a party, I would want to steal you off, take you into a dark corner, make sure we had a supply <laughs> of drinks and just quiz you about your career because you have, I mean, your career story is incredible, but you've been doing what you've been doing for 30 years and when I say that you've been doing what you've been doing for 30 years, that means touching skin, working with skin, understanding skin, transforming skin, educating yourself about what works on skin. And that just makes you one of my favorite type of people to sit down and talk to. So right now you are one of the biggest names in skincare. You're based in the US, but you yourself have said, I don't want to be a household name. I just want to have a damn good brand and good products that do good work. So correct. Let's go right back to the beginning. How did this incredible career begin? I mean, I think for all people in the beauty industry, they just probably started out like me as just being passionate about beauty, right? We were probably all the the first people, you know, as young kids that were experimenting with all beauty products. And I think, you know, we just kind of tapped into looking good and feeling good and the creativity and the art that goes with it, be it makeup, be, be it skincare products, whatever, just, you know, kind of mixing and matching our own things. And so definitely started out, um, just always being into beauty. Now that was fueled by my grandmother who was a hairstylist and owned her own hair salon, um, called powder, powder puff beauty shop. And so as a child, I know, so cute. I can already imagine what it smelled like. (laughs) I know, right? So, um, yeah, so, you know, I grew up, you know, with her and being in that environment. So I would be in her salon and always playing with everything and just kind of, you know, watching, watching her clients come in and being transformed. You know, it's, it's, you'd have a, a woman come in that, you know, didn't have a smile on her face. And then all of a sudden she gets, you know, her hair done. And my grandmother was super funny and really entertaining and always made people laugh. And then they would just walk out being as happy as can be. And so watching that transformation of, of seeing people kind of come to life again, and it all, it was all based on their beauty and just feeling good. And, um, so that had a big impact on me. And so when I, um, 
when it was time to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, I knew that college was not my path. And um, it was my mother who suggested, she said, Renee, you've always been into beauty. Why don't you, you know, become a hairstylist like your grandmother? So I did go down the road of, of getting my license to cut hair. I worked at a salon um, when I got out as an apprenticeship. And um, this was kind of as like an assistant. And this was late 80s when perms were a big deal. And so I just, I'll never, I'll never get the smell of perm solution because I was the shampoo tech. And so I was always pulling out perm rods and, you know, rinsing out all the perm stuff. And I mean, oh my gosh, like my hands from washing hair were just permanently smell like perm solution for years. And, um, and I, uh, I started, you know, cutting children's hair and then working up to men's cuts. And I mean, if there's anything that's going to test your patients, it's cutting children's hair, you know, while they're sitting on their mom's lap and any minute now I could cut their ear off cause they're moving. And so I quickly was just like, all right, I have no patience for this. And so, <laughs> but, um, but what had happened was my path probably would have been really different because I probably would have stayed with hair maybe or just dropped out of beauty altogether. But luckily, the salon that I was working at um, had a facial room and an esthetician working there. Now, this is late, you know, this is late 1980s and an esthetician was not a career you would ever really hear about, you know, facials and skincare that was, it was you know, I think they had just started the licensing maybe you know, less than 10 years earlier. So it was not a popular profession. So I got exposed to, even though I always used skincare products all during high school and, and was always into my skin, but no, but knowing that there was a profession, I, I didn't know there was. And, and so luckily, like I said, the salon had an esthetician there. She became my mentor. I was so into it. And so I went back to school, became an esthetician, went back to the salon, worked with her, just hung on her every word. And ultimately about a year later, she just saw the passion in me. She was 13 years older than me and she saw the passion in me and she always wanted to open up her own business, but she had two young children and she believed in me and said, Renee, do you want to open up this business together? So we we left the salon, opened up um, a skincare salon one uh, one town over, took our clients with us. This was 1991, and I was 21 years old, and I was managing employees and, and running a business with her, um, yeah, at a very young age. I didn't know what I was doing. There wasn't school that taught you how to do anything, but, you know, you just kind of figure it out. What was beauty school like, or not beauty school, uh, esthetician school like in the 80s? Because I guess it would look very different now to how it would look then. Like, was it was it scientific or was it um, more experiential? Like, what were you learning then? And is it very different today? Well, it's interesting because at the time I was living in Massachusetts and Massachusetts is, you know, has, is home to Harvard and MIT and all these really amazing, um, um, Ivy league schools yet. And I, I don't know in the, in the country, but it has definitely one of the lowest amount of hours to become an esthetician. It's only 300 hours, which is only like two and a half months, which is nothing where when I moved to Texas, it was 750 hours. So it always, I think it, maybe it's changed. I haven't looked because I haven't lived there in years, but 
two and a half months to become an esthetician is nothing, right? And so um, my guess is, I mean, it was, it was, looking back on it now, it seemed very old, you know, old fashioned than what we learned. I'm, I'm, you know, but a lot of the sanitary things I'm sure are probably still the same. Um, but it certainly was just low tech, you know, it was very much about hands. There weren't machines. We weren't really, we didn't learn anything about peels. Like it was just very, very basic. Cause the reality is back then a dermatologist was everything for the skin, right? That's who you always saw. And an esthetician was according in the eyes of a dermatologist was a profession that was looked down upon. Like we didn't get any respect from dermatologists. They would just say, Oh, if you want to just go have a fluffy skin treatment, that's who you'll see. And, and, and truth be told, it was kind of fluffy. I mean, because we didn't have access to the stronger things that we do now. And now fast forward, you know, 30 years, you have um, estheticians that work side by side with dermatologists in their office and, you know, they make a great partnership. But back then, you know, no, yeah, w there was no respect for what we did. And, but also the people who were getting facials were, you know, I like to call it ladies who lunch, you know, like it wasn't because if you had acne, always the path was see a dermatologist. You would never see an esthetician for acne because the path back then was get you on to Accutane or what do you call it? Roaccutane, Ro um, prescriptions, topicals, whatever. You wouldn't really see an esthetician for that. So a lot of the clients were women that just had a lot of time on their hands and, and, you know, had money and, and, and wanted to have something really pampering. And that, and that was what it was back then. And, and, um, you know, luckily it's, it's progressed a lot. What was your skin like? Did you ever have so, to troubleshoot your own skin? For sure. Um, so I was all through high school. Um, I had, I had, well, I had back acne. I had acne mostly on my back, not on my face, which was interesting. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I started to get hormonal cystic acne on my chin and jawline. And so when I was in high school, um, my brother had a lot of breakouts and I was somebody that loved picking at the skin. And so <laughs> squeezing, like if I saw something on his back, I'd be like, stand still. And I'd be like, you know, um, squeezing out of skin and, and the, and I did have some breakouts a little bit on my face during high school, not a lot, but like, I just loved squeezing the skin. So when I found out, you know, that there was a profession where people would actually pay me to pick at their skin, I was like, you mean like I can make money doing this? Like they always say, like, find out what you're passionate about and find a way to get paid to do it. I'm like, picking translates to money. And anyway, I mean, obviously there's a, proper way to pick. But, um, so yeah, it was really in my twenties that, um, I learned a lot of painful lessons of picking because cystic acne is, you can't pick at those. You shouldn't pick at those because they're under the skin. They're deep, you know, they're painful. They don't come out from squeezing. And I would just, I'd feel that hard bump there and, Oh, there's something under there. And I would try to pick at it and just end up, you know, making it worse and whatever. So I finally had to I'll never forget. I had, I actually gave it up as a new year's resolution one year not to pick up my skin. And I would, you know, I was an esthetician and somehow I was like, you know, uh, my husband who's now my late husband, but he used to like see me in the mirror and I'd have like, you know, just going to town on my skin. And then he'd, I'd be out of the bathroom and he'd see that I just created like 
such a train wreck on my skin. And he said, Renee, you know, what are you doing to yourself? And I'd say, honey, my hands are licensed as I know what I'm doing as I'd be having like blood dripped out of my face. And, and so I wasn't like that with clients. I knew better with clients, but I just couldn't have the discipline myself. So I gave it up as a, as a new year's resolution and really committed to, to turning it around. And then I ended up, I have tons of blog posts on my blog about how to stop picking because I had personal experience with it, you know, and, and we have a, on the blog, we have a no picking skin contract that people sign and they can take tape on their bathroom mirror and oh yeah, total rehab for skin pickers. So. I'm I'm slowly going to turn to a 45 degree angle so you can see the skin <laughs> because I have a spot that every month just ping and it's a, it's an absolute signpost. And it's exactly yeah. as you describe. I'm like, there's something in there. There's something yes. in there. Yeah, and this yeah. month I tried to do something different. For the first time ever, I tried to treat it with acid, but it's still basically like a big purple welt on the side of my cheek. Yes. Uh, I, well, I can't see it, but I hear you. Um, but actually, we're fast forwarding a bit, but you talked about, because I, when I was researching you, I came across this and I was like, God damn, why didn't I read this earlier? You, uh, you said you realized that you didn't have to pick when you understood that the body could reabsorb the infection and it would just go away. Correct. Correct. Yeah. A big thing that I educate, um, on my blog and clients and, you know, consumers about is I really had to learn to understand that a blemish is an injury, no different than if you cut your arm, right? You, you know, accidentally you're in the kitchen, you cut your finger with a knife. You wouldn't be messing around with that. You put a bandaid on it. You let mother nature run its course and your body will heal it. Like you don't, you're not sitting there putting your, you know, I mean, it, the skin blends together, you know, seals back together. I mean, whatever your body has, you know, healing mechanisms that will mm -hmm. take care of it. But somehow when it comes to blemishes, we feel like we know more than mother nature. Right. And we interfere. And if mother nature could talk, she would just be like, screaming and be like, get your hands off. I got this, you know? And so, <laughs> so really I have a whole blog post on how to get rid of a blemish fast. Um, but the concept of, of having a blemish, there's a life cycle to it from the minute it appears to the minute it either comes through the surface of the skin, or if it's a cyst, your body reabsorbs it and it doesn't want to come out, but you're still left with a scar and a discoloration because there's trauma, whatever. There's a life cycle to a blemish. And understanding that one spot treatment cannot address all the needs of the life cycle. So I have this Renee Rillo Zit Care Kit that has four spot treatments that literally you use with step-by-step -step instructions, but you literally use every step of the process. And the goal, the goal with any blemish is to make it go away as quickly as possible with the least amount of scarring. That's the goal. And, and so you have to respect mother nature and respect that a blemish requires certain things at different phases of the blemish. And so these four spot treatments are really great. And, um, and, and it has like a lancet in it because there is a time depending on the blemish that you do want that infection to come out because the longer that whitehead sits in there, if it is one that wants to come out through the surface of the skin, the more discoloration you're getting because it's stretching that surrounding skin tissue and causing more trauma. So you want you want to get it up and out as quickly as possible, but you don't want to, you need to 
extracted at the right time. And yeah. And so for cysts, like those are the most challenging ones because you feel something under there and you're like, I know something's under there, but they're not meant to come out. If you never touch it, a true cyst will not come to a whitehead. So if you, if you're, if you're respecting mother nature, you're saying, okay, it doesn't want to come out the surface of the skin. So why am I trying to force it to come out? That's not what it wants to do. And so your body reabsorbs that infection. Um, the number one, and goes back down, the number one uh, best-selling product in my line, so I have a skincare line of 50 products, just launched our 50th a week ago, and but our number one bestseller is called Anti-Bump Solution, and it's specifically for those hard, sore mm -hmm. knots. And it's it's been a miracle worker for a million years. I've oh, had yeah. it in my line for 25 years. And then I sold it because it was another company's and I sold it for five years with my first business. So I have 30 years of, you know, when you talk, you know, we talked before we started about the concept of anecdotal, right? I have no scientific studies on this product. I don't even know how it works. The truth of the matter is I don't. <laughs> it was kind of a product that it was for another purpose. And people said, Hey, I put it on a assist and it really worked. And I was like, really? And when you hear something enough, then you're like, wow, there's something here. So I ended up buying the formula from the company. The lab ended up burning down and they lost all the papers on how the product was, how it worked, how it was made or whatever. And so to this day, um, Nobody knows how this product is such a miracle worker for cystic blemishes. And I don't either. Because if you look at the ingredient label, like there's not really anything that shows it's magical. And, you know, like it doesn't really make sense. And so I wrote a blog post. It was called something like, you know, this product has been a miracle worker for 30 years, but I don't even know how it works or it says something <laughs> like that. And I talk about the whole history of it. But I mean, I, I mean, I'm telling you thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the course of 30 years saying, I don't have to get cortisone shots because this product made my cyst go down so much faster. And, and yeah, it's just kind of crazy. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really know how it works, but it works. So anyway, so it's, it's nice because typically with cystic acne, your only solution has been to go get a cortisone shot or go on Roaccutane, you know, uh, Roaccutane and or antibiotics or something, but there really was never much you can do and have a product that, you know, is, is works. So it's great. So 1991, you have mm -hmm. this, this first, that was the first salon, the Correct. First business. So Correct. you have worked in this industry at a time when there's probably been, I mean, an intense about amount of innovation and you have always uh, innovation and learning. And it seems like you've always stayed very much at the forefront of what's new and what's happening. You know, what's going on scientifically. You have a, I do, uh, you, there's a lot of naturals in your brand, but you're very science led, mm -hmm. but equally sure. along, alongside all of this, you have become an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. And I think sometimes, um, the beauty industry cannot necessarily be taken seriously as a business because we deal in facials and lipstick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But from so you've got this intense period of like learning on the job, but also making sure you're at the cutting edge of everything that's new and also trying to understand how business works. And I'm guessing profit and loss, how to keep a salon open, staff, all sorts of things, and then starting your own brand. So was it at the beginning, was it quite an intense period of learning? 
So when I, yeah, yes to all of that. So when I mm -hmm. first opened this, uh, the first salon with my, with my business partner, who was my mentor, her husband was a CPA. And so he kind of handled all the finance kind of side of it, but I learned a lot from him. He really, he became kind of my business mentor from a financial side. Now, naturally I don't gravitate to that. So I probably fell asleep during half of the things he was teaching me because that's, it's not very exciting for me, but I did feel like I was starting to get a foundation. Um, Cause again, 21, I didn't go to college. I was a terrible high school student. I didn't pay any attention. And so I didn't have a lot of experience under my belt at all. And, it, you know, and there's just, it's hard to find a book that teaches you how to do all of this. And so, um, but I definitely, I definitely loved the business side of it um, uh, more so than my partner did. She was definitely, she was actually a, a teacher at the first aesthetic school outside of Boston. And so she was the more of the true esthetician. So she, everything about skin that she loved it. I mean, she definitely can, she likes the business side. It's not that she didn't, but you know, we, we both kind of found where our strengths were. So she continued to be my mentor. I let her kind of research everything, bring it to me. And then I handled I was more the um, management of the employees, you know, kind of a lot of the marketing and, um, you know, getting new business in and business development, stuff like that. So we were a really nice um, balance for each other. I learned from her. She learned from me. But we had, you know, each had strengths and weaknesses that complemented one another. So at the time when I left Boston, I had this business for five years, super successful. We had an amazing partnership. You know, having a business partner is like a marriage, right? It's a 50-50 chance of you still being in love after a few years. And luckily, well, I mean, we just, she's still one of my closest friends. However, I just had, I'm somebody, I Growing up, I, I moved every two to three years and with my dad's jobs. And so I was always used to change. And I lived in Boston for quite some time. And I just started getting antsy. I wanted that change again because I, what I realized about change and moving is it's an, opp it's an opportunity to start over. And sometimes, you know, your environment isn't what you want or, you know, and I, what was happening was I was growing so much as a person and learning and growing and being a responsible business owner at 21. And a lot of my high school friends were that, you know, they were still in party mode and not where, um, I was. And I just kind of, I was just itching for change and kind of reinventing my life all over again. And so I sold my half of the business um, I, I figured out where I looked all around the U S figure out where I wanted to move and Dallas, Texas had, uh, was definitely it for me. And so I sold my half of the business, um, and moved to Dallas all by myself, didn't know one person and just kind of started my life over and started Renee Rouleau skincare in 1996. I took the money that I had gotten from the, you know, the business, but then also had to take out a business loan and, um, yeah, fast forward, we just celebrated 24 years. Uh, the past five years, I relocated my company to Austin because, again, I got the itch to move and reinvent life over again. So I'm still Texas-based, but now in Austin, Texas. And, um, yeah. I mean, so that's, that's where... Fast forward. That's where it feels like over the last two years, all the sort of big tech people have moved to as well. Oh, it's... It's, it's become the place to, to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So when did you start the range then? Because what came first, the nine skin types or the collection? Uh, the collection started first. So I 
um, I had started formulating with my business partner when we had the business, we started formulating a couple products. So we had had, we were selling another skincare line and started uh, formulating together. And what was great is when I started my own, my own company, you know, she's still a mentor to me. So I still have that person on speed dial that I always call. I mean, I definitely still am seeking out knowledge and it's not that I, you know, I focus a hundred percent on business, but it's just nice to have, you know, that friendship. And so we still go to trade shows together and all that. So her and I in the early years kind of started developing products together. Was, and that, then we sp- was that because I'm like, a lot of people say this, we started developing products because the products that we were using weren't doing what we wanted them to. Was there because you were, there was an element of it's good, but I just need it to be better. And maybe we can make it. Yeah. I think there's always, you know, it's, 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 yeah, you want to, you have your own idea. You know, I'm never one to say, and I, I know a lot of brand founders say this, they say, I started my own line because there was nothing out there that worked. Right. I don't believe in that at all. There are <laughs> so many things out there. There's so many great products. Like there's something out there for everyone. But I think, I, you know, I think I had a vision and there were things that I, you know, it's just, it's kind of just like eating food. There's certain things that appeal to you. There's certain things that don't, you know, your taste buds like certain things. It doesn't. And my, my skin buds just wanted other things and, and to be able to just personalize it, right. It's customization. I created my own line exactly how I wanted it. And, and so her and I started developing some products together. And what happens is, is when you make custom formulations in your small business, the minimums are so high mm-hmm. and you know, it's, you know, you have to order 5,000, you know, products of, of I mean, 5,000 of one product or 10,000 or whatever. And so we couldn't, we couldn't do that. So we actually, or we couldn't do that on our own. So we would formulate and she would take half and I would take half and I would have it filled into my packaging and she would have it filled into her packaging. And that's how we did it kind of in the early years with a few formulas. So, um, but I, but I recognized when I started Renee Rouleau, I recognized right away that there were nine types of skin. So this is what you're, what you're getting at. So what happens is, is when you're in school becoming an esthetician, you learn about dried hormone oily skin types, because that was what was said back then. And truth be told, that's kind of a lot of how brands still talk about it to this day. We also learned about the Fitzpatrick skin types, which is more about skin color. But when I became an esthetician and going back to the salon that I worked at, I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get into this. And I would start giving facials to clients and recommend products afterward. And we sold one line of products at the salon. And uh, yeah, this, so this is my first job um, with my mentor. And so at the end of the facial, I knew a big, you know, a big part of it is what you do at home because a lot of people weren't coming in regularly. And so it's what you do at home to maintain. And all of a sudden I had two moisturizers to choose from two cleansers and one eye cream. And it was just kind of like, it was such a one size fits all kind of thing. So I begged the salon owner I said, listen, like I, you know, I can sell a lot and I know my clients will trust me 
but I need more options. And so the only way to do it was to bring in a different skincare line, right? Because every skincare line back then, they only had 10 products or something. So she brought in a second skincare line for me and then eventually a third skincare line. So I was mixing and matching with three skincare lines because- that freaked people out? Because there was definitely that, but when I think about 90 skincare, I think you would get your cleanser, your moisturizer from the same brand. It was very different, yes. So people were like- didn't think you could mix and match and you had to stick with everything. And so, no, I, you know, your skin, when you put something on your skin, your skin receptors don't go, Oh, wait a minute. That's from (laughs) that packaging is from that brand. And now, Whoa, now you're putting something on from that. Like, no, 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 this is not, this is not going to work. And I mean, your skin receptors don't know anything like that. So, so you can mix and match. I mean, brands obviously always want you to use their products, but no, of course you can mix and match. Um, And so I realized there had to be, something better than that. So fast forward, when I created Renee Rouleau, I recognized as an, as an esthetician that, you know, dry, normal, and oily, those are important to know because it tells you how light or how heavy a moisturizer needs to be or how quickly their skin gets dry versus not, you know, whatever. But that's all that tells you. And, but what about when you're really trying to um, create positive change for the skin? So what about you know, rosacea, trying to reduce redness. What about brown spots? What about, what about acne? But what about people who get occasional acne, right? I mean, if somebody has breakouts, it's like, sorry, honey, you either need to, you, you know, if, if you're 30 years old and you're, you know, having hormonal breakouts on your chin, they're like, all right, sorry, you need to start treating your skin like a teenager and use all you know, acne products that will dry you out. But wait a minute, no, I'm an adult. I'm starting to see wrinkles come in, you know, and then they're like, sorry, you got to choose like one or the other. And so, so yeah, I created, I I determined that there were nine different types of skin. And so uh, people can take the skincare quiz at ReneeRillo.com, be put into one of the nine skin types. And then out of the 50 products that I have in my line, which is why it's so extensive, because I have to have so many products, it will create the perfect routine for you. So people really love personalization. And when people take the skin type quiz and they come across their skin type, it's speaking to them in a way that they're like, wow, this is me. And again, case in point, wrinkles and acne, you know, again, take, take your pick. It's either gooey and greasy products for your wrinkles or drying products for your acne. And, and everyone's skin has certain nuances and people just don't you can't fit into just the the one bucket so yeah it's it's pretty revolutionary and after all these years I'm never like I literally and I'm kind of actually surprised (laughs) but I've never like you know what there's a 10th skin type like I don't I'm not missing anything like I I nailed it right the first time now if I determined there was a 10th I'd I would change my philosophy philosophy because that would be the right thing but no there's I've come up with nine I've I've kind of covered all the bases and for the benefit to listeners, you have had your hands on thousands of faces. So Correct. it's not like I haven't I haven't found a tenth. But it's you've been looking like you've had very yes. lots of different faces. You should have found it. For sure, yeah. And that's why I'm always so surprised. I'm like, wow, like I really got it right. <laughs> but at, but at the time when I came out with the nine skin types, I had already had like seven years of experience already. So I, you know, it wasn't like I determine that right out of school. You know, I, I I definitely had some experience, but yeah, there's nine according according to me. And I've done the, the quiz. And the thing I liked about it is 
I didn't feel like I was taking a test that I could potentially fail. You know, sometimes <laughs> when you answer questions about your skin, you think, right, you feel judged. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's none of that. And then the other yeah. thing is at the very end, you get three, or not three options, but it's like, wait, what is your approach? Which just, yeah. when I saw that, I thought, thank God, Renee, because yeah, yeah. I think there is this myth that really good skincare is very, it takes a lot of time, is very involved, requires a certain amount of skill that like you have to know how to put things on like a therapist. And the fact you right. say, right, we've got a basic approach, we've got kind of a medium approach, then we've got the full yeah. gamut the of full, everything. Right. Yeah, because we realize, I mean, in me as an esthetician, like one of the ways, I mean, when you're working with people, you have to understand what their lifestyle is, right? There's beauty junkies like me that I'm like, okay, I'll take everything. I don't mind using a, you know, a ton of products. But then you get those people that like, they're that person that's like, hey, listen, I've been using drugstore products and I've just, I've just been a cleanser, moisturizer girl, but I'm ready to kind of take that next step, but I don't want to go crazy. And we're like, perfect. We have the basic routine that has the three most performant performance products for your skin type. So, you know, a lot of people want to take it easy or, or, you know, financially they can't afford to do a whole routine or, or they, um, or they just want to take it slowly with my brand. Like, Oh, I'm not sure if it's going to work or whatever. And so, yeah, the basic kit is, you know, cause people always say, if I'm just going to buy a couple things, what are the most important things to buy? So the basic kit are the three most important products to buy for your skin type the essential kit is six, the six most important products to buy. And then the complete is like 11 or 12 products and that has everything. So yeah, so we, we understand that not everybody wants to dive in and just buy it all. And that's, and that's my experience working with, you know, with clients all those years. It's nice because you just feel like whatever you want, you're covered. Right. Yeah. Which is now, what, one of the things I love about, I always uh, love getting advice on business from entrepreneurs. And one of the things that you've said before, and actually I've never heard anyone else say this, which is why I'm really keen to uh, ask you about it, is you've said, make your strength stronger. Don't spend time trying to improve your weaknesses. Correct. So, yeah, I, I, I probably really learned... I learned that a lot growing up because I felt different than everyone and different in the way that I, well, different in the way that I learned. I was a, not a good student and I, I actually just got tested. Um, I finally, after all these years, I said, I need, I always kind of said, oh, I'm sure I have ADD. Right. And, uh, um, and I, cause going back all my, it started as early as the sixth grade, you know, talking to my parents. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Parents, the teacher, she can't sit still. She always talks. She's disruptive or whatever. And that started so early. And and then in high school, they did determine I had some learning disabilities. And so I was in special classes and all of that. And, and you know, when I graduated from high school in Boston, you know, 99% of my, of my high school went to college. And I was the 1% that didn't go to college. And so I, I don't want to say there was shame in that, but no one wants to be different, you know? And I mean, nobody went to, you know, no one went to beauty school. And so I remember kids and friends would sing the grease song beauty school dropout and <laughs> you know and, and but I but I what I realized is I was different I learned differently and I wasn't like anyone else and so trying to be like other people never worked for me and so I finally got tested uh, probably six months ago and I guess I don't think they really say ADD anymore I guess they test you for ADHD and so drum roll um, uh, I am borderline ADHD. So actually I, I don't officially have it. So now instead of me, you know, for years, I'm like, Oh, I'm sure I have ADD. Now I go, I'm borderline ADHD. And or is that what it is? ADHD? No, ADHD. ADHD yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And, um, anyway, so it was good to get tested because I was like, I just want to know, but yes. Yeah, so I was borderline. So I don't, I don't officially wear that badge, but it was just good to go through that. But Long story short, you know, we're all wired a certain way and, and I think it's so much more efficient to play to your strengths um, than it is trying to, you know, focus on your weakness because that's just a dead end there. You know, you'll never be good at the things you're weak at, but you can be amazing at the things you're strong at. So that's where I've always put my attention and, um, and then I bring in other people in my organization, my company that, that are their strengths are my weaknesses. Like that's how you do it. And so, but I've heard through the years, some people are like, Oh, you need to strengthen your weaknesses. And I don't believe that. I think that's just a waste of time. I think previously I would have always thought work on your weaknesses, but as soon as you say that, I, the way you've described it, I see that as missing the opportunity to make my strengths excellent or make my strengths. That's right. Yeah. Better. Exactly. I mean, where's your time and energy best spent, you know? And so, yeah, for sure. I like that approach. I like it very much. Um, you, yeah, you've always said you want to build a, a great company, not a big company as well. But when you started ReneeRouleau.com, like you were doing e-commerce back in 99, which was really Correct. early. Which is really early. So yeah, so I started my company offering skincare services, slowly started working into the skincare line. And then my brother is a web developer and nice. he built me an e-commerce store in 99. So we've been selling online for a long time now. I mean, it was very different back then. Um, but yeah, so I, I learned, you know, I learned early on how amazing it is. The, the control you have, um, certainly, you know, you obviously retain your, your margins because you're not, you don't have a middleman, but I loved having that control and selling directly to consumers. So fast forward, you know, I, 
year, years and years later, I would get a million opportunities to be in department stores and other retailers and all of that. And I just turned it down because I had such a good thing going with e-commerce and, and that was not the path that people took back then. Like to be in a retailer, that was like, you've made it when you've been asked to be in a retailer and that I just knew that wasn't right for me. And I'm guessing with your name and reputation, which we'll come on to because uh, you are very good. You don't speak about your celebrity clients, but you do have celebrity clients. And if they speak about you, as many of them have, uh, your name is out there. And there must be, there must have been a lot of offers to, hey, Renee, can we white, you, we can white label these products or can we put your name on, on these products? For sure. Yeah. They would have been tantalizing offers, I have no doubt. For sure. I mean, I've had, I've had so many amazing offers and the discipline that I have to say no is really strong. But the reason why I say no is because I've seen too many people say yes to opportunities and end up completely regretting it. And I use the expression, I never want to sell my soul for the almighty dollar. Like that's, that's really what, you know, I mean, I live in America. The American dream is just bigger, better, more, 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 you know, and, and I also live in Texas, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, they say. And so, um, but I, I really want what's important to me is building a great company and not a big company. And when I get an opportunity, I have like 12 questions that I go through that I ask myself, um, let me pull up a couple of them. Yes, um, please. Yes, because I mean, this can also be for life, right? Like we all... Um, okay, so this is fascinating to me. So when faced with one of life's decisions, you ask yourself 12 questions and that could be a business decision or just, okay, great. Yes. Where did this idea yeah, come it, from? Because people were giving me a hard time for always saying no. And like, and, and, and I say, and I say a hard time, these are like, business entrepreneur friends of mine, you know, cause I'm in a, I'm in this organization called EO called it's called entrepreneurs organization. And, you know, I'm around all, I have all these colleagues that are just all about grow, 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 grow and bigger is better. And, and I've been around it enough that I'm like, no one can convince me that bigger is better. I mean, I literally, anytime someone says, Renee, you're crazy to say no to that opportunity or, you know, you should be a household name. And I always say, tell me why bigger is better. Tell me why I, I am I going to be happier? Am I, I mean, what, what does it all mean? And no one can give me a really good argument, you know? And, and I think it's just cause it's like, we've been kind of trained that you don't say no to things and that you say yes. And more, more, more is somehow going to make you better. But I believe more money, more problems. And so I just say no to things. So yes. Yeah, so here's my, 13 questions I ask myself before I say yes. First is, is it a hell yes? Second, what problem are we trying to solve? Is, an, is it in alignment with our core values? So in this, in, in this case, my company core values, but I also have my personal core values. So if somebody has core values, they can say, is it in alignment with the core values? Does it align with our one-year goal, three-year goal, and 10-year target? Is it on brand so as not to confuse our brand messaging and offerings? How will it affect our core business and focus? Will this opportunity to get big, bigger make us better? Is this where it makes time? Is this where it makes sense to put time and energy? 
how will this affect our team and culture? What's the worst case scenario? What's the jump ship plan if it's not successful? When will we know if it's not, not successful? And lastly, why? Why do I need to do this? That so just, yeah, so every every time an opportunity, I mean, I even run through that. I mean, someone will just DM me on Instagram for different opportunities, just small opportunities. And I'm like, please hold, <laughs> go down my list. And I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> do you know, I remember um, I was- Oh, but here, oh, and let me, but let me, I, I love to share this because this is super fun. People get their feelings hurt when you say no, right? And some people will look at me like I'm an idiot for saying no, right? They get offended. They're pitching you something. It's an opportunity that's great. And they're like, you know, they get kind of their feathers ruffled when you say no to an opportunity. And, and the reality is, you know, I've said no to lots of good opportunities. It wasn't that it was a bad opportunity, but some people have egos. And, and so I've, I've crafted what I always like my no message because it's I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings I'm grateful for the opportunity but it's just not right for me so my classic no response is um, I'm not entertaining any new business opportunities right now as I'm in fast growth mode and just trying to keep up but I really appreciate you for thinking of me so that's like my can't that's my canned statement that kind of just you know that's my classic no statement <laughs> yeah that that's really good that's really that's a really good one I have to think about that but the decision yeah. making, having your 13 questions is uh really interesting to me because I remember a few years ago I would say a few years ago probably about 15 years ago now um I went to go and see a flat and I was like oh am I going to put an offer in on this flat oh and I was on a photo shoot and I was not paying attention I was all over the place, I was pacing. And the photographer came over to me and just said, could you do me a favor? Could you just make a decision? Because this is the worst bit. The being between the decision, the being between sure. the no is going, is going to be the most stress. Once you pick up that phone and say, yes, go ahead or no, thank you, you'll be back in the room. And that's always really stuck with me because it's so true. And the fact you have a process that minimizes that horrible pacing. Correct, right, nice. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's nothing worse than having regret, you know? <laughs> and but going, shoulda, really shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, very stressful. Right. So it gives you kind of some process to kind of make sure you're thinking thinking straight. So does that make saying yes easier? Um, yes. Yeah, it does. And, and a lot of it is instinct as well, right? So as much as I go through that process, a lot of times when I know, I know. So, but I mean, it's so sad because... I say no to so many things. I can't even really think of the last like thing I even said yes to. I'm kind of on autopilot, you know, of like, thanks, but no thanks. But also, but here's why that is. We are, we're growing at a pace that works really well for us. So I don't, I'm not desperate, right? I'm not seeking new opportunities because I don't have to. I mean, even this year with COVID, we have been thriving during COVID. And I'm so grateful because so many companies are not. Um, but everybody, you know, what happened with COVID, it was kind of of a perfect storm. Everybody's staying home. They're not wearing makeup. They're looking at their skin and going, wow, I got to really like get this situated because, you know, I've been wearing makeup, you know, kind of quote unquote hiding underneath. And I've got some things I got to clean up here. 
Then there was mask knee, right? And that still goes on, people breaking out. Their skin acting differently because now we've just had a whole lifestyle change. And 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 then being e-commerce. Nobody, you know, stores are closed and, and everyone's shopping online. And so, and then also people had the time, you know, they had more time to tend to their skin. They had more time to experiment with skincare products. And so that, I mean, we've had incredible growth this year way more than we want, which is crazy. Like we, we have kind of our formula. We know how much we want to grow per year. This works for us. Cause I always want to grow. I have, I definitely have a growth mindset. Like I wouldn't be in business 30 years if I didn't have a growth mindset and or, or be in this profession for 30 years, business for 24 years. Like I, I never want to sit still, but I, I like growth that keeps us on our toes, keeps us challenged, but does not um, create chaos and forces us to make bad decisions. Cause when you have incredible growth, you're just hiring any breathing body to work for your company because you just need anybody. And culture is so important to our company that we're just, we really take our time before we hire new people because, you know, we have, uh, 17 people right now. We're trying to hire two more people, but you know, just, I've always believed that, you know, we spend way more time with our coworkers than we do the people we love the most in our personal life. And so as much as humanly possible, I want to create an environment where people look forward to going to work every day. And, and, you know, I, I don't like drama and I, you know, don't like conflict. And so I'm just very careful about who, who we let into our company and, and, um, I'm happy to say that we have amazing culture and actually right before, uh, right shortly after COVID started, it had been in the works for a while, but we got acknowledged as a best company to work for in Austin. And that's just like, to me, that's way more, that's way more important to me than, oh, we, you know, have revenues of a hundred billion dollars. Like <laughs> it's, you know, you know, affecting lives, making people happy and, you know, allowing an opportunity for people to learn and grow in a company, um, is, is just super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, what's your (laughs) feedback like? Um, but also I think, and I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on this. I think, uh, lockdown, it has been a very interesting time for skincare because as you say, people haven't been wearing makeup. We'll come back to that shortly, but they have, um, been using skincare, perhaps I've been investing in skincare, and they're actually paying attention to what it's doing. And I think we might see real loyalty to brands that maybe there's been a lot of chop and changing over the last few years with single ingredient serums being a big thing. But I wonder whether now actually people will become very loyal to what they used in lockdown. Is that the kind of feedback you've been getting from people? Well, here's the interesting thing about loyalty. So (laughs) this is how, so if you're talking about people kind of staying loyal to a brand, First of all, what creates loyalty? And this is this is more of a, um, you know, more of a um, psychological thing, not not a product thing. But what creates loyalty is, can you make my life better, and you, can you make my life easier? And so, if if products work, and they're easy to use, and they give results, that creates loyalty. Now, but what I also know is is we do personality profiling in our company. And what I recognize is there's people who love change and there are people that don't love change, right? There are people that are like, if it's not broken, I'm not changing, right? And 
that's more of a personality type where there's other people like me who I love change. I grew up moving every two to three years and, and I just, I love newness and I love change. And so loyalty is really, you know, a personal thing. Like some people love change for the, for change sake, right? Oh my God, I love that line, but I'm bored. Right. And, but other people are, are not that way. So it, it's, it's interesting, the concept of loyalty. Um, but I always look at loyalty as much as possible. If we can make our clients, you know, our customers lives better and easier, then we increase the chance of people staying loyal to us, even if they're people that like change. So, um, in, but in terms of, I'm just curious about customer feedback, are people taking more time? Do you, have you found oh, that you've had a lot more interaction since lockdown of people actually talking to you about the impact of the product? Oh, oh, for sure. So yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and people experimenting more and wiping the dust off the products they bought from us and was like, Oh, I bought this a couple months ago and I never even opened it. Maybe now is the time to try it. We also do, uh, we have two in-house estheticians. We don't offer skincare services, but we offer virtual consultations. Nice. So, I mean, all through, I mean, even now, I mean, we're so busy with virtual consultations because again, people have the time. They're not commuting to work in a car. I mean, people have more, life is slower. And um, so those, those, are great and people and people are much more comfortable with doing zoom and skype and facetime right that's more normal where where we always did well with our virtual consultations but some people it was just like oh i want to facetime with a stranger that's kind of weird and now you know covid is that that's completely removed all of that yeah it's com completely different so let's talk let's actually dig into the nine without giving too much away because people do need to do the the quiz but what is what is one and what is nine and that will give us a really good sense of what's in the middle yeah so the spectrum one is the most oily acne prone and the uh nine is dry rosacea redness. That's what the nine one is. So yeah, so it spans kind of oily to dry. But interestingly enough, here's the one mistake I did make with the nine skin types. And I don't know what I was thinking. But so <laughs> in theory, you would think they were in, in sequence, right? And it's two to, it's oil, two to three, oily. isn't it? Right. And, and, right. And, and they are in sequence, except skin type, right. Skin type two should really have been skin type four and three should have been two and blah, blah, blah. I somehow, I don't know, I guess that was my ADHD that, uh, <laughs> that did that one. I just had to keep it interesting and quirky, I guess, but skin type two, I was a skin type two forever, but, but yeah, skin type two shouldn't be next to the most oily acne prone skin type. So if someone comes to Renee Rouleau and starts off as a two and they grow with the brand and they age, are you just going to, is your number just going to get higher? Is that kind of roughly how it might yeah, be? Yeah, in theory. I mean, your skin type definitely can change, but it's not it's not a seasonal change, right? right? Yes, your skin changes seasonally, but you'll never go into be bouncing around into a different skin type every season for sure. I would say that in general, people's skin type, more so in the lower ones, the more acne prone because people grow out of acne and they go through phases. But, you know, somebody's skin type can change every four years, maybe something mm -hmm. like that. Now, and that's generalizing. There are two really significant things that I think have, and I don't know if you agree, that have had a real impact on your profile and the fact that you are such a big name in skincare. And the first, as I alluded to earlier, the celebrity following. 
and people mm-hmm. like Demi Lovato, one of the greatest voices ever. Um, that's yes. a conversation. She is somebody who has talked about the incredible change that you've made with her skin. Obviously, Lisa Renner that we've talked about. But also, like our mutual friend Caroline Hirons, you have also for a long time put your skincare expertise very succinctly and very expertly into blogs and have made Mm -hmm. your expertise accessible that way. Do you think those are the two keys that have really helped create such a big brand? For sure. Because ultimately it's about trust, right? Like anyone in this day and age, any, anyone can create a skincare line. It's not rock and science. You know, it's not rock and science. I mean, they, people have access to it, which is why you're seeing all these lines pop up all the time. Um, but yeah, it's about trust. And, and I always, I have a tattoo on my arm that says to serve. I started out as the ser- in the service industry. I'm here to help. I'm a service provider. And so I always had the mindset of how can I make li- people's lives better and easier and, and, and take what I know and help others. And I've just always had kind of that service approach. And again, you know, watching my grandmother, you know, serving others, right? That's just always kind of been how I've been wired. And so I started my skincare blog in 2009 as a way to help others. And, but I also recognized that I had credibility and I needed, you know, I'm not just a brand founder that just said, Oh, I want to start a line. Like I've had millions of hours of conversations working, you know, talking with people and, and learning about skin. And I've, wow, I've learned some really crazy things along the way that, that no one's talking about. Like I was, I mean, Nobody was talking about the correlation between dairy and cystic breakout being in the ch- on chin and jawline. Nobody was. I discovered that in uh, uh, that very first salon that I worked at. One of my friends would come in for facials. Um, her name's Hannah. I went to high school with her, and actually, I just saw her last week up in Dallas when I went <laughs> up there. But um, anyway, so Hannah started coming to me because she had really bad acne, and somehow through the conversation somehow she determined, hey, I kind of started cutting out my dairy and now I'm not getting as much breakouts. And we determined, so she kind of discovered that. And then she said, uh, then, we, then we determined that she had had a bunch of ice cream the night before and had a big flare up. And it was through Hannah that I was like, huh. And so I started to recommend it to clients and I'd be like, hey, listen, you might want to try this. I'm not really sure. But for my friend Hannah, it worked. And and then fast forward 30 years, I can't tell you how many people have a problem with that. Um, um, and so, but nobody was talking about the, the diet correlation. Doctors weren't or anything. And I, I've been preaching that since 1992. And then finally, years later, um, then studies came out. And, and now you'll hear dermatologists speak of that. Um, so, you know, call call my information anecdotal, but... When you hear something, you see something and you hear it enough and see something enough, you're like, wow, there's something here. Well, listen, as I was saying to Renee before we actually hit record on this call that um, for many years as a beauty editor, I absorbed and parroted press releases, which meant that every bit of marketing blurb, I believed, every stat that actually hadn't been tested in a double blind trial, all of that kind of stuff, I just regurgitated and never really took a step back. And as a result, the pendulum always swings a little bit too far the other way. And I became very obsessed with, it has to have a doctor involved, show me the stats, show me the trials. And I've moved on from there. And I'm at a point now where 
yes, I do really appreciate scientific evidence. Absolutely mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But do you know what? I appreciate anecdotal evidence when there's 30 years of it, which is what you have. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, you hear something enough. I, I actually, for a couple of years back uh, when I still had my skincare spas up in Dallas and had my company there, I stopped being an esthetician. Um, and this is before I started going out to LA and mainly I wanted to focus on e-commerce. And so I phased myself out of the treatment room. So there were probably mm, maybe three years I didn't see, I didn't take clients at all. And, and I was really working on the product line and I needed that time to do that. Then when I opened up a second skincare spa Dallas and I had to take out a huge loan and I needed you know, I, I said, okay, I'll go back and be a, a service provider again until I could pay this loan off and then, uh, you know, and then decide what to do after that. And I was surprised at how much I missed it, but really it was those conversations. I didn't realize that how much education I wasn't getting from not having those conversations with clients anymore. And especially with the blog, because I had started the blog at that time, I can't tell you how many I'll see one client and in in the early years I was, you know, I, I was seeking out blog suggestions where now I've talked about practically everything, but, but literally every client I'd walk away and going, Ooh, three new blog post ideas. And, And it was just based on conversations. And so I still see clients now, um, just in LA. Um, I went out there maybe about two months ago or so, um, but for a handful of clients. So my client list is really small, but I still love, um, I, I, I still want to be a service provider because of that. However, I am part of so many different, like Caroline's, you know, skincare freaks and so many different like Facebook groups and things like that. So that's really a great source of education for me is to hear the questions people are asking, the comments. So honestly, for me, that can kind of make do, especially now, because I'm not seeing clients as much because of, you know, COVID and everything, mm-hmm. but, um, but belonging to a, but just being part of those conversations, that's super helpful. I must admit, I mean, Caroline's uh, skincare freaks group, I'm sure there are some freaks listening. So hi. Um, <laughs> the conversations in there are absolutely fascinating. As you say, I learned so much from them. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I, I really love listening to all that. And that's a way of hearing what customers are talking about, you know, people not in the industry and things they're experiencing. So yeah, super, super educational. Now our time together is drawing to a close, but it would be so wrong of me not to ask you kind of what your golden rule of skincare is. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, right, when this podcast finishes, I'm going to go to renearulo.com. I'm going to take that skincare quiz and I'm going to find out what my skin type is and then they go on their nice little journey. But right now, what would you like to leave any listener with, male, female, whatever the age, what they should be doing or what they should know about their skin? Gosh, you mean my 30 years has to all <laughs> boil down to answering this one question. Yeah, feel Whoa. free to be expensive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Let's see. What do I know for sure about skin? I would say I'll share this 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 story. Um, and this is more so for women, unfortunately, not men, although men can participate in this for sure. But women are more likely to wear makeup than men are, obviously. So the story was uh, when I came um, 
when I moved to Texas and started my business there and started working with clients, I made the assumption that Texas women who are my clients, that they, they were going to have really sun damaged skin, right? Texas is very hot and there's more opportunity to get sun than there is up north. So I assumed I'd have all these clients with this really sun damaged skin. And this was not the case. I had clients that their skin, you know, these are clients as clients in their sixties or whatever. And I was like, wow, their skin is so beautiful. And I was like, I was just surprised. So here's what I determined. And again, this is you know, kind of anecdotal. There's no scientific studies here, but this is also what I observed about my Texas clients is they wore makeup all the time. And to the point that women would come in, these were kind of the older clients that I had, not really the younger ones, but they would come in with a full face of full face of makeup. After the facial, they'd go to the restroom and they'd be in there for 15 minutes putting all their makeup back on, right? Where you and I am, I would know, yeah, you know, you want to let your skin breathe. You don't want to also put makeup on, but these women would put on full makeup afterward. Now, what I also learned is that these Southern women also told me they woke up, and again, these are older women, a little more traditional. They woke up before their husbands so they could put on a full face of makeup, and they would go to sleep after their husbands so they could take their, wash their face. So their husbands would never see them without their face on, is what it was said, what, what they said it was. And, you know, that was fascinating to me. But here's what I determined. Makeup, for whatever reason, Southern women were early adopters to makeup. I don't know why, but it's true in the United States, Southern women wear more makeup than Northerners. And so culturally, that's, that's just the way it is. They also dress up more. When I moved to Dallas, there was this expression like, you need to dress up to go to the grocery store. And, and, um, and so when makeup first kind of came out, you know, the big makeup was like Max Factor makeup in the 50s or something like that. It was kind of pancake makeup. Well, to this day, all foundation, liquid foundation, you know, most all of it has titanium dioxide, which is the natural sunscreen ingredient. So these women that were wearing makeup from sunup to sundown long before we realized that sun was the enemy. So these are, these are women, if they were early adopters to makeup because they're Southern women, they were wearing makeup, you know, through the fifties, through the sixties, the seventies. And, you know, certainly now, I mean, I, you know, I mean, those cute older women that are always have their, you know, red lipstick on at 90 years old. Right. And so, so basically what I determined was makeup was protecting their skin from the sun without them even realizing it. And we know that, you know, I read a study once that 78% of all the premature skin aging we have is from incidental exposure. So it's not from laying out, going on holiday and, and being at the beach. It's the day-to-day in and out of your house, windows, you know, all the times, even during the winter, cloudy days, you know, all of that. So, so those women that were wearing makeup, you know, day in and day out, that's why their skin looks so much better. So, so my, my suggestion is one, obviously wear sunscreen, um, but two, wear, think of makeup as a skincare product. It's an insurance policy to make sure your skin stays protected from the skin. So I, there's never a day that I go by without makeup on, some sort of either a powder. Oftentimes, I mean, I have just some cheapy Revlon powder that does not say it has SPF on it, but what you have to understand is liquid makeup or powder makeup, 
it has SPF in it if it has titanium dioxide, but if it doesn't say it has SPF, it meant that the brand just didn't want to market it and sell it as that because there's a whole nother testing that goes involved, super expensive, whatever, but it's still giving you some protection. So in the morning, when I wake up, if I'm not quite ready to wash my face yet, I'll just dust on this powder and just put a thick layer of it on and then go downstairs. My house, I have, I basically live in a glass house. I've glass windows everywhere. So I get a lot of that exposure coming in. So that's the first thing I'll do when I wake up if I don't feel like washing my face right out of the gate. So yeah, so my, my, my best suggestion is um, wear makeup, some sort of, you know, and I wouldn't have it, I don't consider a tinted moisturizer makeup. I want, I want people to have a second layer of some mm -hmm. sort of protection on. So that's probably my best advice because at the end of the day, we can use our amazing skincare products. We can use our retinoids and all of that, but there is nothing that's going to slow down skin aging than, um, and DNA damage of the skin than protecting it from UV exposure. Like that's it, you know, and everyone's always looking for a magic skincare product, but it's, it's sunscreen, it's sun protection, period, hands down. It's so refreshing as well to hear someone with your expertise talk about makeup as not being a bad thing. I'm sure you would have lots to say about how we cleanse that makeup off and that you have to do it properly, but it's really nice. Um, and you've also said this before and it did make me chuckle. You can't let skin breathe. We know it doesn't have a respiratory system. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And so, but yeah, so makeup is a whole nother interesting conversation. I did, um, I got very scientific on my blog with what's called the oil migration test, which is where I tested, um, I, I determined, I did research on what were considered the most popular liquid foundations for oily acne prone skin, because those people wearing it every day are, are going to have more problems with it than a dry skin type. So I took these 12 foundations, again, that I did my research and I did, you know, crowdsourcing to figure out like, hey, what's the best foundation for oily acne prone skin? And then what I did is I took the foundation, a dollop of each foundation and did um, an oil migration test, which is where you take a dollop of foundation, put it on a piece of paper and you wait for 24 hours and you flip it over to the other side on the back side of the piece of paper. And what you're looking for is how big the oil ring got. So the idea is the bigger the ring of oil meant there's more oil in the product. If, if the ring stayed smaller and that oil didn't seep out, that means there's kind of less oil. Now, so the theory is, is you want something that has less oil in it because oil can be problematic. So I do have a great blog post called like the best foundations for oily um, acne prone skin. Silicone is also gets a bad reputation and I just did a whole silicone test um, again, got very scientific with all the different types of silicones to basically prove that silicones are not all problematic the way that they have the reputation to be. So, um, so for people that are interested in that, just type in silicone on my blog and you'll find that one. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, wearing makeup is, is your friend for sure. Your website is brilliant. And the fact that you can then very easily get uh, your products there is also very handy. And you do like people in the UK. I know we have uh, listeners from all over the world, but you, you do ship internationally. Correct. Yeah. We've been shipping internationally since, you know, a million years ago. And we also do offer free shipping to the UK with 
$150 USD purchase. So you still have to pay customs and taxes and whatnot, but at least we've picked up the tab for the shipping. So that's helpful. The website is the, the blog, actually, as you say, even the, the post, like how to actually, how to know when to pick a spot and when to leave it alone. And also if you're going to pick it, how to pick it properly. All of Correct. those resources are on the website, which is why the link will obviously be in the show notes. The link to your social media will be in the show notes to everything that we have discussed. But Renee Rulo, what an absolute treat to get to speak to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emma. It's nice to see. I mean, I've always said your smile just lights up a room and I see you (laughs) sitting in a room right now and your room is bright because of your infectious smile. So anyway, thank you for all the good work you do. And you've certainly, you know, put so much work into educating others and and providing a great service to everyone. So thank you for this opportunity, Emma. It's a huge honor. So. That's such a lovely thing to say. Thank you so much. Right. You're welcome. Um, I will, this is, you're so going to make a return. Let's just put that out there. This isn't your only trip to the Emma Gunn show. So um, I shall sign off by saying until next time, Renee. Perfect. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to get in touch, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can always DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you would prefer to speak to me but also thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I suggest you go to the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook group. You do have to answer a couple of questions and agree to the forum rules before you're allowed in. Oh, but once you are, you're welcomed in with open arms by me and thousands of others. And we cannot wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.